I'm going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 3, if you want to follow along with me, or the words will appear on the screen. It's entitled, Builders of the Wall. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimuth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshizabel, made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Banner, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles, nobles would not, not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. Then Jeshanah's gate was repaired by, by Jediah, son of Peser, and Meshulam, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Maltiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Merinuf, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphritus. Azil, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumph, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashlebinah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section. And the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halesh, ruler of half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakram. He rebuilt it and put doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalim, son of Kol Hazez, ruler of district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it, it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of Paul of Siloam by the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district di half of Beth-zur, made repairs up to the point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashbiah, ruler of the half-district of Keilah, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Binu, son of Hendad, ruler of the other half-district of Keliah. Next to him, 
Azer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house, Eliashib, the high priest. Next to him, Merimuth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Binai, son of Hendad, repaired another section from Moriah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palau, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper place near the court of the guard. Next to him, Pediah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs up to the point opposite the water gate toward the east and projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to them, Shemaiah, son of Shekinah, the guard of the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shemaiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalpha, repaired another section. Next to him, Malshalem, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple, servants and merchants, opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner, and between them, the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmith and the merchant made repairs. Amen. Well, I think that passage speaks for itself, and I don't think I have to say too much more. I, I, I kind of feel like I dropped you in it a little bit there this morning, Zoe. <laughs> Let's pray as we open up this fascinating passage of Scripture together this morning. Father God, we want to thank you that your word is inspired. We want to thank you, Lord God, that in the seemingly simple passages of Scripture and the more complex passages of Scripture, there is gold for us to have if we're willing to dig. And we pray, Lord God, that as we open up this passage together today, we will hear your voice challenging us, encouraging us, edifying us and spurring us on. Lord, may we be excited by the project that you are calling us to here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been with us the past few weeks, either here in the building or online, hopefully you will remember that we have started this adventure in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, living 800 miles away from Jerusalem, but he hears about the desolation of the city of Jerusalem, that their walls are lying in ruins and he is cut to the core. And as a result of that, he turns to God and he prays to the God of heaven about the situation and his prayer leads him to action. Last week, 
we spoke together about the realities of service. We talked about the fact that the path that God often calls us to walk is a hard path. It's not meant to be easy. It's the narrow path, but it is the best path to walk on if we are walking in God's plans and God's purposes. And we learned together that in order to be a people who are successful in the mission of God, we need to be a people who learn to wait on God. Even when that wait seems a long time coming, even when it seems like our prayers are not being answered, even when we just want to give up and go home, we need to be a people who pray. We talked about the fact that if we're going to go on the adventure that God is calling us on, this rebuilding process, this rebuilding program, we need to be a people who work with each other. We are called together in mission in the context of community. And we talked about the fact that on the way we are going to have to wrestle with problems. If this season that we find ourselves in has highlighted anything to us, at the very least, it's reminded us that actually we are not the ones who are in control. We might make plans and we might make uh, ideas for the future and what's going to happen in our lives. We might try to map out the future, but ultimately God is the one who knows what's going to happen. He plans it from the beginning of time. There will always be twists and turns along the way that we didn't see coming. There will be times where we might face hardship, times where we face disagreement but just because it's hard it doesn't mean that God is not in it the church has never been in a time like it is in now and hopefully God willing it will never find itself in a time again where we can't meet together because of things which are going on in the world that are going on everything seems to us a little bit out of kilter at the moment everything feels a little bit turbulent we're left asking the question what on earth is going on how did we end up getting here? We may well find ourselves mourning at times for the church that we once knew. We may well find ourselves grieving because we cannot do the things that we once did. We may well find ourselves fearing what the future might look like and fearing what the church might end up being. But you know what I believe? that the message for the church right now is simple. And I'm not just talking about hope. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ nationally and globally. The message I believe God is giving to his church is simple. Take heart because I am in it. I know what I'm doing. I know what's coming. And I know what's going to happen. We are in the middle of a rebuilding project. And God is saying to the church, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And although, if we were being totally honest, some of us were really happy with the old, if we had the option, we wouldn't have changed anything because actually it was something that we really enjoyed being part of. I genuinely believe God is saying what is coming is going to be better than what you've experienced up until this point. You might not have wanted the change, but the change that you're going to see and the change you're going to experience will be for the benefit of the kingdom of God. It will see people come to know me. It will see people turn to me and I will get the glory. Are you part of the rebuilding project? I am on, says the Lord. The question is exactly that. Are we at this point in time ready 
to go on that rebuilding project and that rebuilding journey? Are we ready to do what God is calling us to do, even if it is not our own preference, even when it looks a little bit different? Last week, we looked together at the realities of service. This week, as we open up Nehemiah chapter 3 together, I want to talk a little bit about the practicalities of service. And what we see when we open up this passage, as Zoe is so brilliantly demonstrated for us that we look at a passage like Nehemiah chapter 3 and we think to ourselves what on earth is this about how on earth am I going to get anything which is going to speak into my life and show me value from a list of names and a list of jobs about what people did and like I said earlier when I prayed I believe that if we really dig into this passage we are going to see some gold today which is going to challenge us and encourage us and spur us on to the mission God is calling us to here and the main thing that I want us to see from this passage together today is something we began to touch on together last week and that is the importance of working together for God's purpose and with that in mind I believe this morning that we learn a number of things about working together in this way. And the first thing that I want us to see together today is that if we're going to accomplish the purpose that God has for us as a church in this day and age, then we need to have a common vision for the task. For the people that we've heard about this morning, they had a rebuilding project to do. There was a wall that was in desolation. There was a city which was in ruins and they had to go about building for the sake of the people. And there were all sorts of people involved, as we have just heard. There were priests to ordinary people who lived in Jerusalem, ordinary inhabitants, people from all walks of life, those who were rich, those who were poor, those who were high class, those who were working class. There were everyone who could have been involved in this project were involved in this project. And let's think about that for a second. The task that they were assigned to do was not simply to build a garden wall. They weren't even building a building. They were building a wall which stretched for miles and miles and miles. You cannot complete a task like that unless you have a common vision and a common purpose. Otherwise, someone wants to build a wall which is six feet tall. Someone else wants to build a wall which is 20 feet tall. Someone else wants to put a decorative fence around the top of the wall. Someone else wants to put iron bars around the top of the wall. Someone else wants to put hanging baskets at certain uh, levels around the wall in order to make it look pretty. I'm being slightly facetious, but my point is this. The task of rebuilding doesn't happen unless we have a common purpose. I went out on the soup run the other night. It was my first time out this side of lockdown, and I chatted to several different people. It was an action-packed night in more ways than one. A fight broke out, the police had to be called, and as I got back into bed that night, I found it difficult to get off to sleep as I often do when I've been out on the soup run, because I can't help but lay there feeling incredibly humbled that I'm in a nice warm bed in a watertight house, and just a few hours ago, I've been speaking to someone who was going to be sleeping in a car park that night. And as I lay there that night after being on the soup run, I couldn't help but start to think a little bit about church. And again, I'm not specifically speaking about hope, but hope is incorporated into that. And as I was laying there, I was thinking, you know, with the church, there's a lot of rubbish 
isn't there, that we get ourselves involved in, we get ourselves worked up about. Do Christians really fall out because they don't like a style of worship that's being played or they don't like the preacher? Do we really get offended because ministries stop that have been going for a long time and we've loved being part of them? Do we really walk away when we don't feel like we're getting our needs met? Surely, somewhere along the line, We've missed the point, haven't we? All too often, the growth of the church is stunted because we end up squabbling over trivial things. I mean, at the time, they might not seem trivial to us, but if we were to step back and look at them in the light of eternity, would they really matter? Would it really matter, those things that we've been holding on to so tightly? If rebuilding is to be successful, those involved in the building project must have a common vision and a common purpose and a common unity. What has God called us to do? To go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. That is our vision. That is our mission. That is our mission statement. We are a church on mission. We have to go. It's not about this building. It's not about various clubs and ministries that we're involved in. We have to be a people to go. God has not called us to form a social club. If God had called us to form a social club, let me tell you, there are a number of social clubs in this city that do a far better job than what we do in in the social sense. It's not about just coming together with our friends and having a good time. God equally has not called us to build an empire where we're the biggest and the best and the most comfortable church that there is. God has called us to be a people who go deeper in relationship with him and take that message of hope to people who so desperately need it. You know, I don't want to play church anymore. It's tiring. It hurts. I want us to be the church and for all of us that means not having things our own way and doing things that we would like to do in a nice comfortable way all the time but it means fixing our eyes upon that goal and saying God here I am use me to achieve your purposes you know it's amazing isn't it what we're willing to put up with when we have a goal that we're aiming for just before Joshua was born, I run the London Marathon. You may not think of looking at me now, but I actually did it, and I achieved running the London Marathon about 10 years ago. But in order to do that, I became basically a slave to the program which was in front of me. At its height, I was running at least five times a week, running long distances. I was getting blisters on my feet. My feet were getting bloodied. I was aching and in pain, just sticking up with this program. But I had a goal. So the pain that I went through to get to that goal and to achieve that goal was worth it. I was absolutely determined on the day of the race to cross that finish line. So to get there, I'd do whatever it took. And you know, as the church, when we have a common vision and a common goal, suddenly the things that we hold on to so tightly don't matter anymore because actually it's not about our preference. It's about reaching the finish line reaching the vision, achieving the mission to go into all the world, to make disciples. It's about glorifying God and seeing his kingdom come. You know, church, the church, through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is the hope of the world. I genuinely and utterly believe that. 
We are the ones called to take the message of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have to people who are so desperate for it. So this morning, church, I want to challenge you and I want to challenge myself this morning. This is a challenge for all of us. Right now, let's choose to take a step back and ask ourselves the question, how have my thoughts and my feelings towards church and towards the mission either helped or hindered the mission of God here in this place. And to ask God the simple question today, what are you calling me to do to play my part? The second thing that I want us to see from this particular passage as we have opened it up together today, is that in order to achieve God's purposes, we need dedicated leaders for the task. God accomplishes his purposes through people, but people need leaders in order to motivate and to organize. The fact of the matter is, the people that we heard listed in this particular passage today, as Zoe read it out, have been living in Jerusalem for years. But up until this point, the walls had not been rebuilt. The city was still in desolation. People were living in rubble and ruins and they'd simply accepted their fate. They'd simply accepted this is how it is always going to be from now on. It wasn't until Nehemiah turned up on the scene and said, hey, there's a rebuilding project and a rebuilding task which needs to happen here that things got going. Why? Because Nehemiah led in such a way that people began to follow. If the church of Jesus Christ in this day and age is going to fulfill its call and its mission, it needs godly leaders. Let me challenge you today. Do you pray for the leaders of the church? And I'm not just talking about the pastor or the leadership team. It applies to any position of leadership within the church. On some level, I think you can argue that we are all leaders. Leadership is defined as this, a process by which a person influences others to accomplish an objective and directs an organization in a way that makes it more coherent and more cohesive. So you may well be a leader in your household, leading your children in a way that they are going to come to know Christ for themselves. You may be a leader in your workplace. You may be a small group leader. You may be a ministry leader. I don't know what it is that God is calling you into to lead, but in some levels, we are all leaders. John Maxwell says this, everyone is a leader because everyone influences someone. So the question that I believe we're tasked with then in whatever sphere of leadership we are called into, is how can we lead in a godly way? Well, Nehemiah's leadership skills come to the forefront here in Nehemiah chapter 3, and we see a number of different leadership traits. Nehemiah teaches us that leadership motivates people. Ninety years the Jews had actually been back in Jerusalem up until this point, and nothing had been done until Nehemiah turns up on the scene and says, okay, let's rebuild. And what happens? The rebuilding process gets done in a double quick time, even in the face of opposition. One of the ways that Nehemiah actually motivated people in order to build this particular wall was to give them a portion of work which had particular interest for them. For example, the priests, as we heard read, they went to work on the sheep's gate. This would have been a place of interest for them because it was at the sheep's gate that people would have brought sacrifices to the temple. We see in verse 10, if we were to look at verse 10 again this morning, that others repaired the wall in front of their houses and their homes. 
If you've got a wall in front of your home, you're going to want it looking good. So Nehemiah put people in places where they were going to have particular interests in order to get the job done. You know, because the church too often becomes bogged down in programs, leadership can become little more than fulfilling rotors. We've got gaps on this rotor, we've got gaps on that rotor, we've got so much to do and we've got not enough people to do it. So we just take anyone and everyone and plonk them in different places where if they're being totally honest at times, they're not equipped and they don't understand and they don't really want to serve. And as a result, too often people become demotivated, disinterested and disengaged. What if one of the reasons for the season that we find ourselves in today is it because God wants to shift our mentality and shift our focus. What if God is calling us to be a people now who begin to serve in the areas of life which we are passionate about rather than just fulfilling a rota? Here's the deal. And Zoe and Tom and anyone else who looks after rotors, I want to apologize to you guys before I say this today. But today, I want to offer you a serving amnesty. If you are serving in an area that you'd actually rather not be serving in, in church life right now, today you have permission to step aside and step back and stop on one condition. That we sit down for a coffee and we discuss together your gifts and your passions and your heart's desire and get you serving in the areas that God has called you to serve in, which you are really passionate about. You know, no one is meant to be a passenger in the church of Jesus Christ. Everyone has giftings, everyone has passions, everyone is called to serve. There is no retirement age in the kingdom of God either. Let me tell you that this morning, if you're thinking today, I've played my part, I've done my bit, now it's time to sit back and relax. You know, if we were to look at Moses today, what we find out is that he didn't do his best work until he turned after 80. There is still a plan, there is still a purpose, there is still a role for you to play regardless of the age that you are at. And if you're not serving in this place right now, and actually you'd love to be involved, the same invitation is for you. Let's have a chat at some point. Let's talk about your giftings and your skills. Let's see where God is calling you to serve in the mission of God in this place right now. The next thing I believe we learn about leadership in this particular passage today in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that leaders and their role is a role of overseeing. You see, what Nehemiah shows us is that he delegated the work appropriately to the people and put them in the correct places for their skill sets, but then he went around helping people and moving people towards the goal. For example, Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 20, we read about a man called Baruch, Pronounce that right, Zoe. Is it Baruch? <laughs> I've learned when it comes to Bible names, if you just pronounce it confidently, no one ever, no one ever argues with you because no one actually knows how they're pronounced. But Nehemiah uh, 3.20 talks about a man called Baruch who zealously repaired a section of the wall. Nehemiah not only knew what he was doing, but he knew how he was doing it. Nehemiah motivated people to get on with the role that they were called to. We also see that Nehemiah and the leaders did not get distracted by people who weren't cooperative. You know, in any walk of life, there's always going to be people who are not cooperative. Nehemiah was a motivator, and he got the whole of the people involved. That even with Nehemiah's motivational skills, and even with Nehemiah's abilities to get people on board, there were still people who said, no, 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 no. 
this isn't for me. I've done my bit, I've played my part, I'm not getting involved anymore. I don't even agree with your plans. There were still people who took that attitude. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 5 talks about the nobles of Tekoa. These men refused to get involved. And what's interesting about that is Nehemiah didn't expend his energy chasing after them and saying, please get involved, please be involved, I really need you, please, please, please. No, what Nehemiah did is he focused on those people who were saying, let's build. We want to be part of it, we want to be part of the goal, and Nehemiah didn't allow himself to get downcast and downtrodden because people weren't cooperative and willing to put their hands to the plow. My point is this. If the church is going to build in a way that God is calling us to build, it needs godly leaders to envisage, equip, and motivate, to delegate, to oversee, and to keep people focused on the task that he is calling us to. That includes the pastor, that includes the leadership team, that includes ministry team leaders, that includes life group leaders, and so much more. There will be opposition, there will be uncooperativeness, there will be negativity at times, but that does not mean that God is not in it. And my challenge to you today is that to ask yourself, what area of life is God calling me to lead in right now? And how am I going about leading? Are you willing to put your heads above the parapet, I wonder, and say, I am willing to shoulder some of the responsibility here? Are you willing to take up the challenge? Do you regularly pray for your leaders? We've got a couple of new people standing for leadership uh, next week, which I'm so pleased about. Do be praying for Alex and for Tim as they prepare to come on to the leadership team and join us here in, in overseeing some of the things that we're called to oversee here. We need people to be praying constantly for the leadership team. For a building project to be successful, we need to be united behind the common cause. We need leaders who are willing to shoulder some of the responsibility and lead. And finally, we need the people to be willing to play their part. The people heard Nehemiah's vision and they said, let's build. And what we see in Nehemiah chapter 3 is that those who were involved in the building project complemented each other to achieve what they were called to achieve. Some people worked on the walls, other people worked on the gates. Some people were strong to carry heavy stones, others did the lighter work. But each person who was involved here was important to the cause. It reminds me of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when we read these words. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the same spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if a foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not cease to be part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. 
And Paul uses this analogy to show us in practical terms how the body of Christ is to function. That everyone has a role, everyone has a part, and everyone, when they fulfill their role and their part and their purpose, help the body to form and to function as it always should. Paul goes on to talk about the weaker parts of the body having special honor. When we think about our own bodies, you can see the work of the hands with your eyes. But cut off your hands, the body is still able to function. You can't see the work of the heart. But take the heart out of the body, suddenly the whole body drops down. Everyone has a different role. Everyone has a different part. Some see less, seem less glamorous, but actually they're just as important, if not more important at times, than the bits which are visible and seen. Now, what I want us to see from Nehemiah today is that some of the less glamorous roles in the rebuilding project of this wall were the most important in the project to achieve the overall thing. So in, 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 Malachi, um, in Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 14, we see Malchajar repaired the dung gates. Now, this person went to the south of the city and where the Kidron Valley was, and the dung gate was the place where they brought all the rubbish and all the refuge in order for it to be burned. But what we see in chapter 3 and verse 31 is that this man was actually a goldsmith by trade, but he recognized unless this role was fulfilled, even though it wasn't glamorous, actually the whole project suddenly doesn't become complete. It stumbles and falls and doesn't actually happen. Friends, we are living in a time where God is calling us to build. He's calling us to be the church that we were always meant to be. Not revolving around programs, but revolving around seeing the kingdom of God break into our everyday lives. And here's the thing, you have a part to play. Over lockdown, things have naturally stopped. Things have almost disappeared. Roles seem to have been nullified in some cases but God is saying church let us rebuild it will look different it will feel uncomfortable it might make you feel on edge but if you're willing to play your part you will see me move like never before so my challenge this morning is as I invite the band back up what is God calling you to do right now how is God calling you to play your part. And let me give you a head start with this question this morning. The answer to that question is not nothing. It's not just doing what I've always done. It's not taking a step back and sitting back and, and just having a relax for a while. God is calling you to be part of the rebuilding project. For some, those roles will be big and those tasks will be heavy. For some, it might be lighter work, but you have a part to play, whatever it is. Everyone has a role. What is yours? Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we find ourselves in a time where it feels like we are being challenged time and time and time again in so many different ways in our personal lives, in our home life, in our work life, and in our church life as well. And the reality is, if we are being totally honest, some of us are very tired right now. And the idea of embarking on a rebuilding project doesn't fill us with joy. 
But I want to thank you that your word tells us that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. So Holy Spirit, as we respond together now, we pray that you'll renew our strength, that you'll renew our focus, that you'll help us and give us courage for the fight which is to come. That we will see the kingdom of God break in and break through, not just in four walls, but in our everyday, ordinary lives, in our work life, in our play lives. Lord, wherever we may be, may the kingdom of God be present and may you break in. Have your way, Lord Jesus, today. Why don't we stand if we're in the room, church? And if you're watching online, I want to encourage you to really press into this time as well. Don't go off and do something else. Don't go and get the dinner ready. I know it's difficult at times to be able to worship from home for some people. But we worship an audience of one. And my challenge this morning, wherever you are, in the room or online, to simply ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you calling me to do right now? Maybe you feel this morning that God's put a word on your heart, a picture, uh, an encouragement, a scripture. Do share them on our chat on Facebook and YouTube, and we'll share them here as well when we see them come through. But let's be the body of Christ, listening to Jesus this morning and seeing what he has to say. Let's worship him.